Welcome to episode 1126 of The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Justin Mason, joined as always on Sundays by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing, my friend? Hey, happy Jesse Sanchez Day, also known as International Free Agent Signing Day. Uh, Jesse Sanchez owns that market, so you should go check out what your favorite team's doing today. Uh, you know, I want to say I'm feeling particularly old because another Vladimir Guerrero child has signed today. Uh, and I think Bobby Bonilla's kid signed today. It's like all these, the kids, uh, continue. Uh, and I, I like, I'm 50 going on, I don't know, 68 at this point when I, when I keep seeing all the, the kids, the, the, the progeny. Yeah, that's the right word. Progeny of players I grew up watching signing deals as 16 year olds. Uh, so yeah, check that out. Cause those, I mean, Wander Franco was once one of these international free agents who uh, materialized. So it's always good to get these. So Dynasty League players, pay attention. I'm also doing a hell of a lot better than Charger fans. Sorry, guys, all five of you. But uh, wow, how do you get five turnovers and a 27-point lead and blow it? And, and the Falcons are like saying, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You are now the new what the hell. So that's it. How you doing, bud? I'm doing all right. Still, uh, still got the lingering effects of COVID, but... Uh, going on strong. Uh, so yeah, a uh, lot of content for those of you who are podcast uh, uh, enthusiasts that li- like to listen to a ton of podcasts. Uh, if you if you finish this one, uh, definitely go over the Friends Fantasy Benefits feed uh, and check out all the thirty podcasts that I've been doing in thirty days. So uh, coming up towards the end of well, I guess it's only halfway through the month, but uh, I've got a lot of them recorded. So yeah, I would say yeah. I need to dive into those. I know that's a great thing about this because fantasy football season is over, uh, except unless you're a DFS junkie, you're still doing playoff football, right? Uh, or anything else. But uh, like I see a bunch of podcast content coming out and somebody was telling me yesterday about the, uh, the mega pod that uh, dead pull hitter did uh, mm-hmm. with everybody. And it was like three hours and 43 minutes. I'm like, Oh man, even Paul and I back in the day when we used to sit down and just dive, we never hit three forty three. Um, so I guess I need to carve out like half a day or maybe like spread out over a couple of days to check that one out. But it's, it's great that, you know, we have podcast, everybody's, everybody's back in and putting out content. So nobody should be at a shortage for listening for content. It's plenty of it out there. And, um, yeah, just shut off your radio and just listen to podcasts full time. That's pretty much what I do these days. (laughs) Well, speaking of diving back in though, I don't know that, uh, our guests today, has ever dove out of baseball. He is posting baseball stuff all year long. Uh, we have Mike Curlin from Canning the Edge. How you doing, my friend? Fantastic. Thank you for having me on, man. Uh, remind everybody where you reached on social media and then plug everything you got going on right now. I appreciate it. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin. And like you mentioned, Canning the Edge is kind of the thing I'm heavily focused on. I, uh, I teamed up with Bubba, George, and Simeon. And I am the better Mike that you got a chance to have on today. Yeah. I made sure you you, oh, easily. Sure you knew that. Easily. I made sure you understood that. I made sure that Mike Simeone understood that. But <laughs> Simeone was supposed to be on today, yeah. but uh, he forgot that he was supposed to be on today. So he set up a party, a watch party to watch the uh, the Giants uh, playoff game today. So uh, we had to pivot to the better uh, Mike. Who and they're going to lose, been. by the way. They're going to lose yeah. because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Bad karma. Um, we it is. That, we were supposed to have Carolyn on uh, earlier, later last or month, uh, but I, unfortunately, I got sick. So uh, I'm glad we were able to work it out. 
Yeah, it works out. But yeah, like I said, uh, I just want to make sure I emphasize that I'm the better mic. Now, um, no, it's so Gaining the Edge. It's uh, patreon.com slash Gaining the Edge. Or sorry, patreon.com slash GTE Fantasy because... I should know that better by now. Um, yeah, we're, uh, we're right now, you know, we have Bubba doing some deep dive stuff. I have my lineup stuff coming out starting March. I'm putting, I'm actually, I feel, I felt kind of bad, but for the first time in the three or four years I've done the lineup chart, I'm actually putting it on the Patreon. So I'm paywalling something. I feel guilty for it, but I shouldn't because I've done it for years for free. Anyway, so among other things, um, in, in season lineup stuff, uh, Simeon's doing his pitcher chart there. It's, we have a lot. Uh, George is doing a relief pitcher thing because that's his niche. So kind of bringing it all together and, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I, I'm still working at the athletic. I still do a freelance work for the athletic. The big thing right now on the, during the off season though, I've been focusing on building is my YouTube page. Uh, it's also youtube.com slash at GTE fantasy. I know it's real easy. You can find all my work if you just look up those three letters. And, uh, yeah, it's, that's been a lot of fun. It's been a challenge. I enjoy jumping into new challenges as I, you know, year after year, I kind of, I tend to get bored very easily. So I like to find things that challenge me. And YouTube is very challenging. Not only is there not much content for fantasy baseball on there but there's not a lot of demand for it either so it's like i'm in this weird like do i keep it going and hope i can kind of create this interest or do i like or do i pivot to just regular baseball so but the youtube is a lot of fun it's uh it's it's, and it's definitely different definitely different and video is always i think video is the, honestly the next logical step in this yeah i i I've been trying to uh, figure out how to edit video so I can try to do more video stuff. For those of you who you want, always, you can watch uh, this on YouTube, right? If, if, you, you, can, if you don't want to listen, you can go watch it. Uh, so you, you can always, uh, if you ever have questions, man, I can try to help out. I mean, I have no problem helping out. I have Adobe. I have um, I have some DaVinci uh, stuff. Like DaVinci's free. So you, like, have you, a cast, can, you have a casting couch behind I, you. And you know, I have a like, ca- no. Yeah. Well, and I only have the lighting. I have lighting set up for back there too. So, Ooh, you know. very nice. But uh, no, if you do have any questions, Jason, just uh, I, I told See, you. Told Justin. you. <laughs> That's Justin. one. <laughs> That's one. We, we need a counter. But yeah, if you have any questions, man, just hit me up. I have no problem helping out where I can and um, however I can. If you do have any questions about it, because not that I'm a pro at it, but I do put in an absurd an absurd amount of hours just watching YouTube videos on how to do this stuff. So. I would also say there's an argument to doing kind of a natural thing, Justin. You know, if you want to record short, uh, one of the things I do by day uh, is do some one to two minute videos uh, for different people. They're asking, hey, how do you do this? So just make them. And it's just, you know, like be in the bottom or somebody with the, on the team and we're explaining things. And we really don't go into edit unless, you know, we slip up and say something profane. We go in there real quick and pop that out. But other than that, it's more of a, a natural interaction. And that may, uh, you know, get you comfortable with doing more uh, with that and, and catch up to uh, the better mic skill set. Yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out. Uh, I got to get through my projections. Hopefully I'll have my projections done by, by the end of uh, next week. So isn't that uh, the frustrating then... part though? Is like you want, you, you have a passion for so many things, but then you have things you actually have to do. And don't get me wrong. We all enjoy having to do those things, but it sucks when they, when you have to do these things that you don't quite enjoy as much as like this new project you want to work on. So it's like really trying to make all these pieces fit together and five six years later whatever however long we've all been doing this you guys have been doing it longer than me you never feel like you make any headway until you actually reflect a little bit and like oh wow look how far i've come but it's like it feels like a never-ending thing you know a never-ending process to trying to grow as an analyst or grow in terms of content it's bittersweet really it is i mean there's one of the things in the, it, for those of you guys who haven't bought the the fantasy process book from jeff Zimmerman and tanner bell uh, just get probably the 50th person to plug that here recently. Uh, mm-hmm. But great read, but there's a particular line in there. It says, focus on the things uh, that you can make time for. And like, I believe it's 
even in John Posma's introduction, I believe he says something along the point, like, I don't do player projections, but I spend my time into getting into the science behind people, why they do what they do, why they use those project, or, you know, why they, how they came up with that time. So he says, I don't use my own projections, but I take my time that I would otherwise do projections and look into the how and the why that built those projections. And I really like that line. And John's obviously a very successful player. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's some other advice to consider too. make time for what you are really interested in. Cause I know a lot of people, there's this thing is like, Oh, I'm reading a book. If I started, I got to finish it. No, you don't. If you don't like the book, throw it away, <laughs> go to the next one. You're drinking a beverage. You don't like it. Get dump it out. Just because you spent $5 on that beer or whatever it was. If you don't like it, if it's crap, it's crap. I dumped one out the other day. It looked curious. I started, I took two sips. I'm like, this sucks. Um, I'm not going to throw a brand under the bus, but I was just like, this is terrible. Uh, and I got rid of it and moved on to the next drink. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, spend your time where you uh, enjoy it. Yeah, my problem is I just don't have enough time. I enjoy almost everything I do. I, yeah. just, I just don't have enough time. Specialized, brother. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm it's probably going to have to cut out something, and the kids are the thing that takes up the most time. So. Yeah, you can't cut them out. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, they're like mandatory spending and a budget. Yeah, you see. can't cut your kids out. Mm -hmm. uh, let's, uh, let's move on and talk about uh, all of our uh, recent MLB moves. With Paul and I kind of covering all uh, covering positions right now. We haven't had a chance to kind of catch up on everything that's happened in MLB in terms of transactions recently. Won't be covering like ARB stuff, uh, you know, but uh, I, I do want to kind of cover some of the moves. Some of them are pretty interesting. We had a one last night that really screwed me in a, a few fantasy leagues already. So uh, let's start with a pretty boring one. Wade Miley to the Brewers on a uh, one-year contract. Um, I think the biggest question here is, is I don't know that Wade Miley is really interesting uh, for fantasy outside of as a streaming guy or maybe in a, a draft champions. But does this screw Aaron Ashby out of a rotation spot, Mike? It shouldn't. But um, I mean, I, maybe they want to limit. I think <laughs> you see I'm so torn here. Uh, you look at this team and you're like, what are you doing? But maybe they're pivoting to a six-man rotation to help keep their guys healthy, or at least some of their guys. I mean, we're hearing more and more teams consider six-man rotations. And, I mean, you have, what, Freddie Peralta coming off an injury plague season? You have, other than Burns and Woodruff, do you really want the other guys pitching every five days? Other, You know, if they can't? Uh, I could see, I think Miley even has a hard time staying healthy. At least last year he did. So it's, um, I don't know. I, I feel like Ashby is the odd man out right now. But... I don't know how long that's going to last. And they'll definitely keep him in a high leverage relief pitcher role, which might be where he flourishes anyway. And he still could provide value there for sure. It's just a, um, yeah, it's going to eat into Ashby definitely at least initially, but I, I can't see it lasting all year. Jason, where are you at on this? Are, are you worried that this is going to hurt Aaron Ashby's role? I wasn't looking at Aaron Ashby as a starter right now. Uh, anyhow, the, you know, I love, I love his upside. But he's not there yet consistently enough to stay in the rotation. I agree with Mike's point that perhaps the the role forward uh, for him this year and for the time being may be in that high leverage relief role where he could work multiple multiple innings in that capacity. But when you look at some of his righty lefty splits, the the non slider offerings, the inconsistency uh, there, and the fact that he just has a lot of base runners overall, uh, and this at least Wade Miley buys uh, another bit of development time uh, for that capacity. And I'm not very excited about Milwaukee coming into the season. Anyhow, uh, I'm a little 
worried that their their window was closing uh, and that they're going to move some of these assets. So the the short term value of Ashby is impacted, uh, but we'll have to see where things go uh, long term. But I was kind of fading the market uh, on that. Yeah, and if you look at sorry, lastly, I, I just real quick pulled up the splits from last year, Ashby, and um, small sample, but nineteen relief parent, uh, sorry, nineteen relief innings compared to eighty eight as a starter, and his ERA was two runs less. Just like again, small snapshot of how he was effective out of the bullpen last year as a reliever. So maybe they see him be- better off in that role. And they, you know, they are a team that did do, they did this with Hater. Like Hater, everyone thought that could be a starter at one point, if I remember correctly, and he ended mm-hmm. up just really flourishing in this role. And I could see them pivoting. Ashby to that type of role, and then obviously as they sell off like they always do randomly, uh, Williams will be out, and maybe Ashby turns into the second half closer. Probably no. Yeah, Hader came up in the Houston system as a starter, and that's usually the the it's you you everybody starts as a starter if you've got good stuff, and then it's either injuries or stuff that puts you in there. And for Hader, it was just the the lack of the other that couldn't mm-hmm. do an off speed pitch, so they're like, hey, let's try it this way, and he flourished. And uh, so you could see the same kind of thing with Ashby and that slider uh, with the piece, but the con- the consistency is, is the missing step. We've seen some great outings for him. We've seen some other stuff. It's like, Hey, this could be really intriguing. But the fact they went out and got a one-year rental uh, of Wade Miley, who I honestly thought was retired. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that kind of speaks to where Milwaukee uh, is planning to use Ashby here, at least in the first half of the season. Yeah. I think this is a short term kind of first half of the season type of move. One, they've already got uh, a couple guys on this roster, including Ashby, who've had some real injury concerns, right? We we don't really know what we're getting from Freddie Peralta for a full season uh, this year. Uh, we love the upside, but he has had a trouble staying on the mound. Uh, Wade Miley, super old uh, and, could, you know, didn't pitch a ton last year anyways. Uh, and so while I think if everybody is healthy to start the season, then Ashby's in the bullpen. Uh I think there's a legitimate chance that not everybody's even healthy healthy to start the season, much less all the way through. So I think he he's definitely going to lose value in terms of his ADP. Um, I think this is the time to kind of jump on Aaron Ashby if you if you have been a fan, and I have been a fan. I, I love this stuff. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what his price kind of falls to with this news. Um, but I think he could end up being kind of like an end game pick in your, in your standard leagues, mm-hmm. uh, and something you just kind of wait and see. Hey. Do they even have all five rotation pieces to start the year? Yeah. By the way, 36 being super old, you're number one, Justin. Uh, <laughs> you looked away. You're number one, 36 super old. So I must be a fossil. Wow. All yeah. right, go ahead. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about other really, really frustrating moves. Uh, the Cubs uh, earlier in the offseason signed Eric Hosmer a few weeks ago. Uh, and then last night they added Trey Mancini on a two-year contract. So uh, I want to get what you guys think their fantasy value is for 2023. But also, why do they hate Matt Mervis, Jason? Yeah, was, you look at that, you're like, they're they they they're clearly saying, it's weird because when you put the, when you look at the team on paper, it's like, hmm, I guess there's, they're trying to say, hey, you know what, the NL Central may be achievable. So let's try to load up. And you know you, they've added Swanson and the, they they added Hosmer for some reason I guess because he's cheap uh, added Bellinger and they uh, you look at the overall lineup though downgraded catcher but pretty much upgrading a lot of other places uh, with that so we'll have to see how the impact of that goes down uh, but I don't know why they're why they're looking at this saying this is our window but that's really the only other thing I can come up with is they're looking at something saying they got a chance 
to make some noise in the NL Central this year. So this is the uh, route they went. I mean, I love this for Trey Mancini. We saw the impact of how the redesigned Camden Yards impacted his home runs, went to Houston, things got better. Should be really nice for him um, in Chicago and the fact that he'll be able to play DH full-time there, uh, which which uh, certainly helped there. But yeah, with, with Mervis, those who drafted early and were taking the shot on him, we love what we saw in the Arizona Fall League with Mervis. But now, you know, unless Eric Hosmer absolutely flops out of the gate, which is not <laughs> out of the realm of possibility uh, with him, I don't know how Mervis gets that path forward. But I mean, I love this for Mancini. Uh, move, but it really feel for you Mervis guys who were like, oh yeah, this is happening. I guess now everybody's going to move from Mervis to Kyle uh, Mazzardo and be like, I'm going that direction uh, with it because now it's what everybody was uh, not really wish casting at the time. It was a very real yeah. possibility. Now that still exists over in Tampa Bay because you want the one of the thing they were possibly looking at Trey Mancini. That didn't happen and now their options at first base are kind of limited so maybe they do go that direction. Who knows? Mike, what are your thoughts here? I just don't understand. You're right. What does Mervis have left to prove? We saw him hit over 30 home runs across three levels last year. Every level he went to, between from A ball to triple A, he improved his strikeout rate, which is usually the opposite of what happens as a player moves up the up the level. And he's hit he hit 297 or better every level. Uh, Mervis had an ISO of 296 or better every level. And he's going to be 25 in April. I don't understand what this was. And Hosmer is a ground ball merchant. We know this. Uh, but the fun fact about Hosmer is he had a higher contact rate and ma- max exit velocity than Freddie Freeman last year. So I thought that was a fun little fact I found about him. Although it, when you hit the ball on the ground a ton, that's what's going to happen probably. But um, I digress. And I was reading um, a beat writer from The Athletic. I was reading the uh, his his thoughts on it. And it sounds like Hosmer's going to play a ton of first base. Mancini's going to platoon with Hosmer at first base while DHing. I just don't know if Hosmer is – I just think he's more of a short-term uh, plug-in type of thing for this team in terms of like if Mervis – but if Mervis shows out in spring, are they really going to hold him back and his potential in terms of being a plus bat for Hosmer? I have a hard time believing that. So I do think it's really on Mervis to perform in spring because, again, you have the age. You have the – you already have the production in the minor league system. I Maybe they give him a little seasoning, but at 20, he'll be almost 25 years old, about 25 when the season starts. I don't understand. He should outperform. He should perform well in the minors, considering he'll be old for the level at that point too. Twenty-five isn't exactly young for the upper minors anymore. So I don't know. I, I I'm really frustrated with this move. I do hate that it did this to Mervis, but I will be drafting Mervis, expecting an early call up. I'm hoping the price dips well enough, like maybe you can give him the reserve rounds in in these draft champions moving forward, and then at that point give me the upside play there. You know, if he's going after into those reserve rounds where he's kind of just now still meandering above reserve round picks. Yeah, I wouldn't take Mervis off your board. Um, I, I think now, obviously, with a two-year contract, they're kind of tied to Mancini a little bit. But yeah, they can drop uh, Eric Hosmer at any point. They're they're paying him league minimum uh, yeah. because the uh, the Padres are still paying uh, all, pretty much all of that contract. Uh, so I wouldn't like think that like this is going to block Mervis from getting to the majors for the entire season. But I think what this does do is give them the opportunity to send him down to the minor leagues to start the year, save a year of service time on Mervis, um, and kind of make sure that they think he's ready for the major leagues. Um, but I mean, Eric Hosmer sucks. Make sure. Like, <laughs> make, yeah. make sure. Like, yeah. Like, this is Chris Bryant 2.0 again. That's why. Yeah. I, I Which think is silly be because yeah. Mervis is not the type of prospect you do that with. 
No, but um, either was Pete Alonso, right? And look how that turned out for the Mets. Yeah. So, so it's like, I'm not saying Matt Murphy is the next Pete Alonso, but if there's ever a reason to maybe for a team to think twice, it's probably because of Pete Alonso. Because everybody and their mom's like, why are they doing this with Pete Alonso? And they, and they didn't. They actually called Pete Alonso up thinking he would, and no one ever thought Pete Alonso was going to be what he's turned into. So I can't sit here and say Mervis is going to be Pete Alonso, but it's just one of those things where, I don't know, that's the only thing I can think of is maybe a team saw that and was like, oh, let's play it safe and get that extra year. But even then, how I don't know the service time date on him. So I'm hoping it's a month. Like <laughs> I'm hoping it's lower end. Like, you know, we see a May debut type of deal, you know, maybe mid-May, late June. I mean, he's already 24. Like, how much that's, service time do you really need? That's what I'm getting at. Like, he'll be 25 yeah. by April. That's what I'm getting at. Like, I don't understand uh-huh. this move at all. I don't understand blocking him, mm-hmm. and maybe we're overreacting to Hosmer's. Because this, like, if you look at this team, the Cubs had no first baseman either. They had Bellinger, who yeah. was already committed to center, and they had Wisdom. So Hosmer really should just be depth. I know Mancini's going to play both and be depth too, but Hosmer shouldn't be what holds Mervis back. I think if Mervis shows out in spring, it's still his job. I just think that there's no wiggle room anymore. He has to play his best in spring, or he's not getting that shot. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about, uh, the next guy on the list who's not nearly as interesting is Matt Mervis, but Zach Davey signs a one-year contract, uh, to come to Arizona or come back to Arizona. Do we care, Mike? And who do you think this knocks out of the rotation in Arizona? Cause they've got some younger, interesting guys. Um, I mean, uh, I just I don't, I don't get this. Like, why? <laughs> what did they see from him to make it worth? Like, you know what? We're gonna bump out. Like, I can't. Remember, Brandon, uh, what, how do you say his last name again? I'm sorry, I'm terrible with names. Uh, fat. That that's what I thought it was. Okay, yeah. I just don't understand why they did that. Why why not see what you had in him? You know what I mean? And I feel like right now he gets uh, kind of bumped. I mean, that's what also resource that even has. So I I think um, Trey I, Jamison I, gets bumped too. Unfortunately, I was gonna say Jamison's also projected to get bumped, and that's why it's like I don't know. I mean, they're obviously gonna fight it out in, in spring, probably best best of those him those two, and then Ryan Nelson probably mm-hmm. probably get that last spot. But I just don't I don't get it. Davies, no, I, I just yeah. I'll, here, J- Jason, you can have this one. I don't. I don't even want to bother with it. Like, I'm sorry. Not that I'm saying you should bother with it, but I feel like we can just move it along. Like, Davies, well, come on now. I always try to approach this as we have listeners that play in NL-only leagues. Somebody's going to have to draft Zach Davies. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens. And teams have to figure out, okay, I need, a, you know, 900. It used to be 1,000. I want 1,000 innings for my starting rotation. Now it's more like 850 to 900. And so you got to put that together. And you look through Gallon, Kelly, Bumgarner. Okay, that can get me a good percentage of the way, but I've got to fill it out some other ways. Uh, and so Davies is a known known. Uh, I, I'm really about the only way to defend that. Well, something I tweeted mm-hmm. out this morning, I'm a bit concerned about, uh, not that Davies doesn't have other flaws, uh, but he throws over to first a lot. Like I, I found a report today that showed me who throws pickoffs a lot. And Davies was ninth in the league with 93 pickoff attempts. And he's only picked off eight guys in his entire career. So controlling the run and, and the same pieces of the equation are still there. He pitched for the same team. Carson Kelly's still behind the plate. And so the strategy that they like to use when Davies was on the mound was throwing over a lot to first base. Well, now that he's limited in the amount of times he can throw over, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens to uh, how he controls the running game and how he makes that adjustment. By the way, number one on that list, 
Zach Gallen, 144 times. Uh, and so it clear. And number four is Merrill Kelly. So this is an Arizona thing. Arizona leans on the pickoff to control the running game. Now that they're not going to be able to do that as much, I really want to keep an eye on these guys on this staff to see how they're going to adjust. And one of the, we can see it in spring training. We'll have a little bit of ground, but I'm, I'm curious to see how this plays out because this is a team that clearly leveraged that. And I have it you know, dove into the why behind that because Davies uh, opposing base runners were seven of 12 against them last year. So it wasn't like, it's not like Kenley Jansen where everybody or Adam Adovino who everybody runs on. Um, and so, but that's how I want to see how this all plays out in Arizona. It's just something, uh, another factor, Justin, as you're working on projections, possibly another factor to work on to when you've got seven, three of the top nine pitchers and pickoffs all in the same rotation. It's clearly something in that in that organization. Yeah, uh, that's that'll be something interesting to dig into. I think once I'm uh, once I'm closer to being done, because I've already done all my my starting pitching projections, uh, and I'm not going back through it right yet. Uh, and I, I also don't know how like how how do you weight something like. Like such a hard uh, thing to figure out this year. Um, yeah, it really is. I just I, maybe it's it's just a matter of you know a couple a few more runs here or there. But I really want to see as you know what opponents are doing against Arizona because if that's been something, it's like now okay, you know, I'm going to hang out there try to draw that second pickoff. All right, you just tried it twice. I'm running now because uh, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to get me that third time. So I'm going to take that chance with it. Uh, it's just one of those unknowns. We don't know how much we're going to be able to control for, but the fact that three pitchers in a rotation all leaned on that strategy heavily, uh, need to see how it adjusts and, or if, if that's more of a Carson Kelly issue, uh, mm-hmm. with it, because, uh, the second, second was Aaron Nola, but Aaron Nola also has JT real Muto and nobody runs on JT real Muto. So why is, why is Aaron Nola throw, trying that many pickoffs? I think he had 131. So he was second. Uh, on that list uh, with that. But I didn't go back and look and see how many times he was throwing to Real Muto or how many times he was throwing to, uh, who's the the back? Hoskins? No, oh, the other oh. catcher, the, um, the guy used to be in the Astros organization. Uh, I'm trying to think. Was it Andrew Knapp? I, I can't even remember. Knapp was a piece of it. I'm drawing a blank on the other catcher, and Philly fans are probably yelling at me like, you idiots, this guy. I know it's the guy that used to be in the Astros organization was, was their second catcher. Uh, I haven't looked at uh, it. Garrett, uh, Garrett Stubbs. The, thank you. See, I knew where he came from. I just didn't know what his name was. Um, so, yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, as far as Davies is concerned, I mean, he has he, – he's such a, like, volatile player. Like, you, you, you may stream him for a start. And there, were, there was, like, a stretch last year where he was actually really good. Um, and you got to kind of – you got to stream him for a little while. But, I mean, I think outside of NL only leagues – He's not not very interesting. I think it just hurts um, potentially Ryan Nelson or Dre Jamison from making the opening day rotation. I think that'll work itself out. I mean, at some point, if the Diamondbacks do want to be competitive, uh, can they continue to run out Madison Bumgarner in that rotation long term? uh, Or can they continue to run out a guy like Zach Davies? Uh, So I, I think that at some point, both of them will be in the rotation. I think you just have to be a little bit more patient and be less aggressive on them in draft season. Uh, AJ Pollock signs a deal to go to uh, the Mariners. Jason, what are your thoughts on Pollock uh, in Seattle? Uh, I like the move. Uh, it's it's not... I like the move if they use him in a pl- kind of a platoon situation. 
and try to mix and match his strengths. I mean, obviously, last year was a bit of a letdown from, from what he did the previous two years. Uh, I'm a bit concerned that somebody may be like, oh, this is like their new Mitch Haniger. Uh And I would that's kind of a tough bar for uh, Pollock to get to. Uh, with that, but Pollock is a is a really nice addition uh, in this marketplace for what that team needs and the way they put their roster together uh, with some stuff. So I mean, he's going to hit down in the lineup. So that's kind of the, I liked him a lot more heading into this last season. And like I said, that, that performance just disappointed. So he's going to hit lower in the lineup just because he can't he can't hang with the top four of that lineup. But if things break right, he could hit as high as fifth in that lineup. But he is likely to hit. Uh, seventh eighth possibly uh with that but if things break right he could earn his way higher up in that lineup but that top four is pretty much an unmoved. Uh, so there is a even in the best case scenario there's going to be a a cap on his plate appearances and uh, you know at the end of the day we all know this is all about getting the most plate appearances that you can to get your production out of it so that's something to keep in mind there is a kind of a hard cap with him uh even in the best case scenario mike yeah he, he hit the nail on the head here uh I like the move more from from like a real life perspective than fantasy Pollock. And there's also it's weird because his strong side of hitting is against lefties. And so was Haggerty's last year. So and Haggerty, I feel like might be the, or should be the better defender at this point in, in respective careers, considering Pollock is although they do project Pollock to DH. So that's fair. I just feel like they also have Teoscar and they also have like player, you know, we've seen France get hurt and he's had a DH. So I don't know. Obviously, Pollock's going to factor in as like the fourth outfield type as well. I just, I don't know. I feel like Pollock is more of a name than a fantasy asset at this point. I do like him in obviously only leagues or as a reserve pick in, for, for outfield because he's going late enough in DCs and stuff like that. But um, I don't know. Again, I'm with I'm with Jason here. I said the right name. I'm with Jason here and thinking he's just kind of he is he's just kind of okay. Like whatever. Not, there's just such a limit there, you know. Like yeah. <laughs> I mean, this feels like it somewhat is Jared Kalanick, uh um, insurance, uh, yeah, insurance. I like, it feels like, hey, yeah, good point. We, we don't know what we're really getting from left field here, um, and we have a bunch of guys like we've got Taylor Trammell and Dylan Moore and Sam Haggerty. Like we've got a bunch of guys. We know what we're gonna get from Pollock when he's playing. The question is, how long will he be able to play for? Like he's just a guy that has had a, a real issue staying on the field pretty much his entire career, uh, and last year was another one of those seasons. So um, I think this is just insurance in case, uh, you know, Klenick, uh, uh or Kelnick can't uh, figure things out at the major league level, which I'm hoping he finally does. But uh, we shall see, uh, unfortunately for him and for fantasy managers. Yeah. Um, a big trade happened, uh, and I feel like it got a little bit overshadowed, but it really has some big... Uh, uh, impact on fantasy for this year because it affects two closing situations potentially uh gregory soto was traded to the phillies so i think my main question is and if you want to talk about some of the ancillary pieces because i know mike you said you really like matt veerling um who closes in philly now and also who closes in detroit mike well philly i feel like they're just going to run out whoever's running hot at this point because they just have they have depth which is nice they but i feel like they can play the matchups I still would put my money on Sir Anthony Dominguez, but I'm not putting a lot of money on there just because of again matchup base. They can go, they can, they have such so many high end guys, guys that have done it before, especially with Kimbrel, you know. Like so, it's it's gonna be tough. But I'm gonna go with Dominguez if I'm putting my money anywhere this year to at least start the year. And then um, in Detroit, though, 
I'm really big on Alex Lang, and it's he's a right-handed pitcher, so that's in his favor already. And we saw that he has the stuff to do it, the strikeout stuff, which is a big deal. And not to mention the team has very few options around him right now. But Alex Lang was the only pitcher in baseball with two pitches that had both a, that had a swinging strike rate of at least 25 percent or better. And that's kind of like a weird. That was kind of a crazy stat when I found that. I was like, oh, that's very interesting, considering that he has that type of swing and miss stuff from the as a reliever. And this is minimum 200 pitches thrown, by the way. Not like not like oh, he threw a pitch five times and it had a 25 percent swinging strike rate. No, it was at least you had to throw the pitch at least 200 times, and he was the only pitcher in baseball to have two pitches with at least a 25% swing strike rate. So when I see that from a relief pitcher on a team that doesn't have many options around him, give me the upside of Alex Lang there in Detroit. Jason, where are you at on uh, both of these situations? Uh, Philly definitely has a type. It kind of reminded me, it kind of reminds me of one of my roommates when I was uh, before in between marriages, uh, before I married Sarah. Uh, my roommate had a certain type of, of woman that he'd like to pursue uh, to the point where like he learned Japanese uh, and lived in Japan for a while uh, to to do that. And so when I look at Philly, it's like they definitely have a type that they like to pursue. They have five different relievers with strikeout rates of 27% or higher that also have walk rates of 10% or higher. And that, and that's like the mix we're working with. Uh, and then you throw in Connor Brogdon, who's, who falls short because he's only at 24 and 8, and, and Matt Strom. So it's like they have a type. Miss bats, uh, get a lot of strikeouts, and if you get a lot of strikeouts, we kind of don't care about your walks. Uh, and that's what they – so it's really tough to, as Mike said, where am I going to put my money on this? It's like Dominguez, yeah. But then you look at Jose Alvarado, and Ho- Jose Alvarado's got the best strikeout uh, minus walk percentage of that uh, quintet uh, of wild relievers, but he's all, you know, you looked at him last year, you saw the usage pattern for that. And so one of the things when you look at Philly, as as Sam Fold has started to do more in that organization, there was a really good piece earlier this week to talk about how the analytics team in Philly helped make, you know, help make Nick Castellanos look better in the field by positioning him to his strength. Like he's really good at uh, at making plays in and to his left. And so they positioned him closer to the gap and allowed him to do those types of things. Uh, and so you look at his bullpen and they, they must have something they're looking at because they are hoarding. And I don't know if this is a market inefficiency. A lot of teams have these, but nobody has as many as Philly does uh, right now. And so I don't, it, Philly could be a closer by committee and, you know, who knows where it's going to go uh, with that. With Detroit, I believe, as Mike uh, does, that Lang is the best option here. Um, he's somebody that I like quite a bit. And you look at the the swing and miss, Mike broke down the, the two-pitch, but even the overall uh, whiff rate, he only trailed Edwin Diaz, uh, Andres Munoz, and then Dylan Lee. Alex Lang was fourth overall in, in whiff rate, so he misses bats. Uh, and Gregory Soto did that too, but Gregory Soto also missed home plate a lot. Uh, and that's the difference is, is Lang can find home plate. And they did some things last year. You look at his, at his pitch mix uh, last year, and they had him throwing two and four seamer. They, they tweaked some things around last year. And I wrote an article about him at Rotowire at the end of uh, August looking at him. And I kind of comped him to Jason Adam as far as somebody that said, look, here's what your repertoire is. Let's not worry about what you can't do and let's emphasize what you can do. Uh, and as Mike said, he's got two really good uh, pitches with, with ability. He just needs one more. He's got to settle on a third pitch and dump the fourth one because he does throw four pitches. Uh, and so Jason Adam was the comp I came up with. And if Lane comes out and has a, an Adam, 
like season. Oh my God, that'd be phenomenal. Cause that was the one thing missing out of Adams. He didn't have a lot of saves out of that equation uh, with that, but Lang definitely has the opportunity to do so for Detroit. So I'm excited about even more excited about Lang's future now uh, than I was when I wrote that up at the end of August, but I'm looking at Philly. If I'm an NL only player uh, or even this applies to any format, really, it's like, what are you going to do? Because they've got five different options there. The experience would go towards Kimbrel, but, You've also got guys with experience like Alvarado and Soto and Domingo. So everybody's kind of nobody's got a leg up on the other one unless Kimbrell makes a point like, hey, you guys sign me. I've got all these saves. Uh, I should be closing. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's going to be kind of a mess in in Philadelphia. Um, I mean, I I guess one of the strategies for the Phillies just in general by like going after all of these guys with high walk rates and high strikeout rates is go. Hey, our bad defense can't hurt us if no one actually gets a hit because they're either striking out or walking. Like, oh, it's gonna be fantastic that's though. A great when point. Th- there's gonna be the occasional game when the whole bullpen just implodes, and it's gonna be like a 15 run a-, a game against them, and it's gonna be amazing to watch. But then there's gonna be probably a lot more games where that's not the case. But still, it's gonna be very interesting when the when when like, everything that can go wrong will type of thing happens. Mm-hmm. I'm it's gonna be enjoyable at least for the couple games that happens next year. I mean, this feels a lot like it was with like Seattle's bullpen, where like you just didn't really know. Uh, there's probably going to be a favorite. It will probably be Kimbrel to start the season until they, he proves that he shouldn't be. Um, but this I think, yeah, <laughs> does anybody on this team get to 25 saves? I, I don't think that, no. that is gonna happen. No. So I I, yeah. I would take the the under on that. Yeah. Hell, I would take the under at 20. Yeah, I, I think you could uh, very easily. So um, Alex Lang, I think, is uh, very, very interesting. Only problem is I have a sneaking suspicion they bring back an Andrew Chafin or um, a that Mike Spencer. You don't have that suspicion uh, around here. Don't yeah, speak that into existence. I know, I know. That's just big. So, like, don't go overboard on Alex Lang right now. Like, you know, uh, if the price starts really shooting up in your trousers, yeah. because I think there is a really good. Um, chance that they bring in some, you know, mediocre veteran guy to come and take this role away from him. So, uh, but for right now, I think he's a very, very interesting uh, closer candidate if he does have a job come opening day. And I wanted to talk about Matt Verling real quick because I know, yeah, it, I, I just for some reason I had this affinity with him. I, it's just because I happened onto some stuff. I was just looking into him more the other day because another reserve round guy. I really love deep leagues, deeper leagues, I should say. And Veerling's a guy that's perfect for that type of format. You know, your only leagues, your DCs, because he's a reserve round pick. But if you look at the profile, let's just break it down for Veerling. He limits swing and miss. Last year, he had a sub 20% K rate and an 8% well, uh, swing strike rate. That's, a, that's great. 85th, 85th percentile uh, hard hit rate, 82nd percentile max exit velocity. That just gives you an idea that he hits the ball hard and can. It's a skill set of his. He did improve the ground ball rate. It dropped 12.6 points last year from 2021. So... We're talking about hits the ball hard, starts starting to elevate it. 89.5% Z contact percentage. That's, that's, I mean, anything at 90 plus is what I really call elite. He's right there. So, and not to mention he runs, he has speed. So he has the skill set. He has the contact ability and also this power speed potential. It's like, why does this guy have all these tools? He just hasn't put them together. He lacks the potential. He lacks uh, the skill set to barrel the ball right now. We're talking about 5% or less the last two years, and he struggles against righties, so he could be a short side platoon guy. Yeah, maybe initially. But one thing I did find that was interesting, it just have, so just we're talking about skill sets here. We're talking about targeting somebody who could give you power and speed late in drafts, which is a very valuable skill set in fantasy. Veerling kind of checks those boxes, and there's a path to playing time because it's the Tigers. 
So that's why. And there was the whole September wasn't great for him, but we saw him struggle pretty much the whole second half. Why was September? Why did that matter? I noticed there was like a huge mechanical change and swing change in his profile. I tweeted it out the other day because I, I just happened onto it because I was watching videos of him on Savant, just picking videos and watching. And I just noticed there was like a huge night and day difference. I found an article, but it was paywalled. So I came and see if it's something that'll carry over. It's, is, is it something he was working on? And if you watch, the, I, I watch a lot of the in between clips and you saw him slowly transitioning to where it ended. And if you look at the start and end point of where he began last year and ended last year in terms of the mechanical changes and all that, night and day difference. And there was a little bit of positive production to finish the year. Not great, nothing fancy, but it was at least trending upward compared to the two months leading into September. So that's where it's like maybe carry some of those changes over. Maybe he reworks in the offseason. There's a lot of ifs, ands, and buts here for Beerling. So I'm not saying, oh, he's going to be a must-get guy. But at least there's intrigue late. And that's where I'm kind of getting at where if you're looking at a Matt Beerling type, it's in a league that you probably most of us, most people probably don't play him. But if you do play in deeper formats, just keep your eye on him. Yeah, if you can't hit against righties, you're not going to play. Hey, like, hey, I mean, that, hey, struggled mightily. <laughs> yeah, str- yeah, hit 217 against righties last said, year. That, that so. was okay. That, that was one time. Give him a, I just, it really is just a matter of path to playing time paired with this interesting skill set that has me intrigued by him. Not somebody I'm going I, like I mentioned guys like Max Kepler, I prefer, and ADP prefers them too. But these are guys, again, reserve rounds. I, I'll take a shot on probably Jesus Sanchez over Veerling. Just to give you an idea of where I'm at. So I like Veerling. I just don't think he should be bumped up to where those other guys are. And those other guys aren't exciting to many people either. But at least I feel I see a better path for those other guys. I just, I don't, listen, don't poo poo on me, Justin. Let me enjoy this. Let me enjoy the Matt Veerling hype here. That yeah, he no just hasn't has. had, a, he hasn't had enough of a time to tell see? us he can or can't, honestly, because he see? had the, in 2019, I was just looking at his numbers as you were talking. Like he had a low batting average. You would figure, yeah, maybe that was righties. But in, you know, 2020, didn't play uh 2021 was bouncing around multiple levels uh so he hasn't really been able to sit down and say okay this is what i can do over a full season since 2019 so you know we we see noise in 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 splits like this all the time uh year over year uh you know the guy that can't hit lefties all of a sudden for one year does hit lefties but it's just a reminder that all right the previous four he didn't uh so which one are you going to believe but what he did last year what he did the previous four uh so every time i see a guy who has taken a a jump out of nowhere. I always go look at, okay, what went different this year? Oh, hey, look, he hit lefties for the first time forever. Uh, and and so let's look at, this isn't the new norm. It was just, that was nice. Now try to do it again. I definitely will look into this more, especially when I'm uh, working on my outfield projections probably uh, next week. Um, only because if this, if this was a real change that happened in September, right? He hit 270 and 272. I'm oh, sorry, 275 against righties in September. Now yeah, I'll, I'll send you the link to the tweet real quick in here, just so you can see the 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 stance, the complete. It's like a complete different stance change. Now I yeah. messed up the caption on the video. I put end of 2023, like I'm foreshadowing, but it almost looks like like an open stance of like Anthony Rizzo, where his hands are like way down, way less noise pre pre swing, right. and he really calmed down everything. Like there's just. It was just a wild, wildly different change between from where he started to where he finished. Obviously, that there's going to take some time getting comfortable there because you know players need that time to adapt. So there is again, it's we're talking about a very small sample of a small sample. That's why you can't just mm-hmm. say, "Oh, this is going to carry over." But at least he's making those changes or attempting to. And you got to think he's going to take that mindset, probably work with the new coaching. That's another thing. Does the new coaching set him back? 
Does it does he continue to progress where he was going? I couldn't again. The article I wanted to read there was I found I googled it, found an article. It was paywalled from a site that I'm just not going to buy. It wasn't like a fantasy site. It was like a or like a Saint like a Chronicles, you know, some other. I was like, yeah, I'm not buying this. But um, I was very intrigued because there's a whole write up. I'm wondering, did he have his own coach or was it the Philly system that did this? And I don't know the answer. That's what's frustrating. I'm trying to. I'm still trying to dig into what caused this change or what caused him to make these changes and. Mm-hmm. It'll make it'll help me believe if he can carry it over or not, type of thing. That's all. Yeah, fair enough. I would add the homework assignment. I don't want to dive into it, but go when I was talking about the splits year over year and such. The other way to look at that, like go look at Heimer Candelario's splits against righties the last three years. Look at you know look at what he did in 20, 2020, 2021, and then look at what he did in twenty twenty two. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but that's your homework assignment, listeners. Go look at his splits. And if you want to see why his numbers took a tank last year, go look at those splits and see what happened uh, with that. So let's continue. More importantly, uh, this uh, clears the way for uh, my boy Brandon Marsh to have more plate appearances because he won't be platooning with uh, uh, Veerling uh, in uh, in Philadelphia. So uh, yay for Brandon Marsh. Uh, moving along, uh, let's talk about Brandon Belt. Who breaks my heart, signs with a different team. He's no longer a San Francisco Giant. He is now a Toronto Blue Jay. Jason, are you interested in Brandon Belt in Toronto? Yeah, I am on the rebound uh, because we've talked many times in this podcast, a hitter is nothing without their lower half. And Belt struggled with lower half injuries last year, one year after a surprising 2021 power season while everybody else was struggling to hit uh, with power. He was doing so in a park that was built against his strengths. Uh, so, and then last year, back injury, leg, and everything, the lower half wasn't there, and you just can't hit with power without your lower half. So, if his lower half is healthy, now he's in Toronto, now he's got that as a home park, and he gets to take aim at Yankee Stadium a few times a year, not the lopsided schedule that we've previously had, but he still gets to take aim there, uh, and, and the even in the American League as a whole, uh, and he's in a situation where he could have a nice rebound season based on uh, the lineup. Now, I'm a little concerned about the trickle-down effect of this because, you know, Mike, you mentioned earlier, you got Kevin Biggio. Uh, this really hurts your Kevin Biggio shares. If he was like your backup to something or your starter, heaven forbid, uh, that's going to hurt. And then, you know, Danny Jansen, who I have long been a fan of, you know, he previously was projected to get a lot of those DH at-bats. Now he is going to be the second catcher behind Kirk. And uh, he's going to be probably in a platoon DH situation if he's not second catching with Belt uh, in that situation. So I'm a little concerned how this impacts Jansen. Then again, this is Jansen's walk year. Uh, He's a free agent after this year. uh, So they may move on for him if there's an opportunity in the market to make a deal. But they already traded one of their catchers. So it looks like they're going to be holding on to Jansen here. So I'm a little concerned about that because Jansen obviously showed some of that power upside last year. But his opportunities may be a little marginalized right now. Mike, where are you at on Brandon Belt going to Toronto? I want to first and foremost address these rumors that I like Kevin Vigio. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I was mentioning how I was so like I I drafted such a bad team already earlier in the offseason, and they say bad in terms of just unlucky with injuries and stuff that Kevin Vigio is already being name dropped amongst that team because I drafted him that because it was a guy that I was falling back on in terms of just like super late depth because multi positional eligibility and you know one injury he was this is before all the signings and stuff so. I digress. I just want to make sure I emphasize that I'm not advocating you draft Kevin Biggio. He is not fantasy relevant, especially now. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, yeah, the Brandon Belt signing that hurt. I, I really, I was really starting to buy into Danny Jansen. I'm like, okay, the price is the price 
checks boxes. His offensive like underlying metrics boxes are getting checked there. Playing time is going to be there for solid as a, almost like almost like the Braves from last year in terms of having two catchers that can play a lot and you know DH and they they just had path for both of them. I was like, this is great. And the lack of lefty in the lineup really had me hoping for Addison Barger getting you know a chance to crack this starting day uh, lineup as a and he still can I guess I mean is Whit Merrifield really going to hold him back if Barger see, proves ready I don't think so even though we saw Whit kind of come alive at to end last year it still has me questioning if they want him more to be more of a super util type and on top of that we saw him even platoon last year at times so we'll see again uh, how that works out but that's where my like the fallout kind of affected but I think Belt Belt says that he, like his quote was that he's expecting to DH pretty much majority of the time, and that so that right there, if, they, if he, what he's saying holds true, which is part of why he probably signed there, that's gonna kill. That's gonna crush Jansen of all people, and even Kirk loses some at bats now because Kirk loses some of that DH ability. So, and then on top of that, Springer's gonna have to DH to stay healthy, and I mean it's already. I don't know how much we should we expect Belt to DH in terms of not only not hitting, it's probably most likely staying as lefties, but then losing some DH at bats probably to Kirk and Springer and others that need them anyway throughout the weeks. So although I like the move as a whole for Belt because he also, if you read the article about him, he mentions how healthy he feels, how great the knee feels. That's still, there's reasons for optimism and he should DH most of the time. I still think that he's limited between platooning and just losing days off to other guys. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, he can play occasionally at first base to give uh, Guerrero a day off here and there. Um, but... It's let's be honest. This is Brandon Belt. He may feel healthy now, but it's not yeah. like this has been like, hey, it's just been a knee issue. There's been concussion <laughs> issues, hamstring issues, back issues. Um, and he's 35. Well, yeah, while he yeah he's 35. While he won't be playing he's in the super ancient. A ton, uh, exactly. <laughs> he's um, baseball ancient. All right, he's baseball yeah. ancient. I'm all, I'm over these guys as ages too. So I'm not I'm not, not old, nearly old men. Not nearly as far as Jason is, but um, uh, I this will work itself out. Like, I mean, do I really expect Brandon Bell to get 450 plate appearances uh, in Toronto? I I, I don't. Like, I, I think that uh, between platooning and injuries and things like that, like he's probably not getting the you know 450 plate appearances. So, like, does this hurt uh, Kirk a little bit and Jansen a little bit initially? Yeah, sure, but. Um, am I worried about it for their long-term fantasy value for this year? I'm, I'm really not. Like, I, I, I think this was one of those things that's going to work itself out one way or another. So, um, moving right along, uh, Corey Dickerson signs with the Nationals. Uh, this shouldn't matter, but he is looking like he is probably a starting outfielder. So, Jason, what are your thoughts on Corey Dickerson? Uh, well, it should matter. I, I love, I love veterans that play for crappy teams that have really no other option. There's always value in that kind of capacity. Like you said, he may be the starting guy. He is likely going to hit in the middle of that lineup, like fifth, yeah. uh, when he does. And so, you know, he could fall into RBIs. Uh, that we, when you look at that spot of the lineup, if he played every day, if he played every day, he could still fall into seventy plus RBIs uh, with that. And so. You know, earlier our earlier conversation about splits noise. You go back and look at uh, you know, what he's done against lefties. Last year was nothing. He was uh, two for twenty six against lefties. But then you go back and look in two thousand nineteen, he hit two seventy one against him. In two thousand eighteen, two ninety three. In two thousand seventeen, three oh eight. And those were a significant amount of playing time in seventeen and eighteen. So it's like he's done it kind of before, and he's going to have plenty of opportunity to do it here. I mean, there's really no other option when you sit there and look. It's like, what else may 
the Nationals do because I you, know, you could give me five thousand dollars without looking at the, the the roster resource, I wouldn't be able to tell you two of the guys on their bench uh, with that that could come in there and 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 take some of that playing time. So if I'm in again NL only league players, deeper mixed league players uh, on, on a bench spot, this isn't a bad dart throw uh the sub because he does hit the ball to all fields hell he hits bouncing balls to all fields and dickerson is one of the best in the league and and I, there's probably four or five highlights of him hitting a ball that's bounced in front of home plate and him hitting it the other way uh he does not take doesn't accept them so obp uh, obp formats run away in that capacity but there's there's some potential value here uh because of where he signed if he was anywhere else if he went back to st louis wouldn't even care but nationals pretty much wide open uh, and so I do like him. Mike, what about you? Do you like Corey Dickerson? C. Dick to Washington. Did you just disrespect Stone Garrett like that, saying he has no <laughs> platoon concerns? Gosh. Yes, I did. No. Yeah. I bet to um, drop the C. Dick reference for Yancey because I know he's listening too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. C. Dick. Um, and C. Dick we trust, right? Um, I don't. He's a jag. He's just a guy. I'm not overly excited. He did hit well against righties last year, and you kind of can expect him to at least get the strong side of a platoon. But this goes back to being an, an only again. If you're in the only league, yeah, there's definitely intrigue here. And if you're in a DC, he has that depth potential in terms of like a reserve round. But we know what we're getting here, and yeah, he's. But we also like this was just last year. The whole bad good player or veteran player or whatever player on a bad team that had me having a lot of Tony Kemp. And I'm like, do I really see like the Corey Dickerson is going to be like Tony Kemp where it's like, he has his weeks, he's serviceable at times, but otherwise he's very useless for majority of leagues. Uh, that's just where I'm at with them. I just, I know, sorry, Yancey, you can yell at me you can text me later and yell at me. I'm aware, but um, <laughs> it's a uh, C Dick. It's just, it is what it is. Like you mentioned it, it really, yeah. he's very, very league specific in terms of where he has value and where he will be productive for you. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you guys, so I'm just going to move it right along. And uh, let's talk about Johnny Cueto signing with the Marlins old guy day. Um, Mike, you're a Marlins guy, right? So, Can I plead the fifth? Yeah, um, tell me what they're doing here, because it felt like they already had plenty of rotation pieces. What they need is offense. Is this going to... Uh, signal that they're actually going to trade maybe a Pablo Lopez or a Trevor Rogers uh, for a bat. And are you interested in Cueto at all? Uh, no, not really. Again, it goes back to the we're talking about like I, I love these deeper leagues. Like I'm trying to be trying to remember that not everyone plays in the leagues that we all play in here where he has value in those formats. We, we saw a guy put up a low three ERA in 160 innings basically last year. And now he's going to a better ballpark. Sure. He's not going to get many wins, but he had eight wins last year with the White Sox. So it's like, I don't know, like we can kind of expect eight to ten again with the Marlins. Like he's going to just because this team, just because of the ballpark. And I don't know, this team needs that offense to even get close to ten. I don't know. I feel like maybe seven, eight is probably the ceiling right now, all things considered. But that's what you're getting. I think you're getting decent ratios and you're getting innings, which has its place. So just know that when you go into it. Other than that, the um, Marlins should be trading for offense. I just don't know who they're going to get go for at this point. I would like to see Reynolds go there, not for fantasy purposes, but for life purposes. It makes sense defensively and offensively for this team. But I just, until they make this move, I, I agree. I thought the move was weird, but it obviously signals that they are looking to trade. And the rumors have been nonstop that Pablo Lopez and, and or Rogers are plenty available. 
just a matter of finding a team to take them on and giving us giving us as in the Marlins a uh, bat or two in in return because they obviously need just some middle of the lineup help because uh, John's uh, Gene Segura and Chisholm can only do so much at the top of the lineup and. Well, is Cooper? I, I gave up on the idea of Cooper a couple of years ago at this point. And uh, like, you just look at this team, like you see, I'm very, very just, it's depressing. It's just depressing. <laughs> I can't, this offense is ridiculously bad. And the fact that we kept, we didn't even keep Louis Diaz, like, why not? Why not keep Louis Diaz at this point? I guess. Uh, uh, <sighs> what what team yeah. has kept Lewin Diaz? Yeah, I know. You can get him. You can get him back. He's already been DFA'd like forty like times. Eight times. Poor guy. Now, if you talk about like you want to talk about something, I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but talk about something that's going to screw his career up if he potentially even had one left. Like the confidence has to be shot for this kid. He's been picked up and dropped more than like a. I've never. I can't even think of a reference right now. It's funny or a pun. I'm sure you guys will think of one for me. But the poor kid, legitimately. Probably has no confidence left. What He's type of player? The I, Edward Oliveris treatment in in or in all the offseason. But, like, but like, how do you expect a player that even had a little bit of potential but has really good glove get better when when he, every time he gets picked up, it's like, yeah, no, we don't want you anymore. Like, what is this? Like, how do you expect him to to bounce back from that type of mental beatdown? Like, that's you know, that's part of the game we might not even think about. And the poor kid just isn't you're, getting. You're you're, you're behaving like they care. Yeah, I know. Like, I, I, I should. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know. The teams like, don't care. Yeah, the, the teams do just do not care. But yeah, this like, team—it's what it is—is is like three years ago it would have been exciting with with Soler, Avisel Garcia. Like this, this team had very, very exciting pieces a couple of years ago. But and even Jesus, uh, Jesus Sanchez, who showed glimpses at the end last year, Brian De La Cruz as well. It's just the problem is, is we have no, the Marlins have no real like sure things in the middle of the lineup. And I feel like if we did, yeah. then you could feel more excited about the pitchers in terms of getting wins. But in terms of the team knowing how to you know keep pitchers relevant and actually produce pitching, I like this move for Cueto having one more solid year. I just I just don't know how to be excited about this. I'm trying so hard to be excited about this Marlins team. Here, I'll <laughs> give you an example. I'll give you an example of a, a player. So here's the, here's the timeline. Uh, I'm not going to give you the year because I don't weigh the player. June 1st, waived by Baltimore. June 3rd, selected by the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. So that gives you a little bit of a hint. <laughs> June 28th, purchased by the Royals from the Devil Rays. July 30th, traded by the Royals to the Mets for Justin Huber. And then uh, later that same day, traded by the Mets, along with Ty Wigington for Chris Benson and Jeff Keppinger. What player am I talking about? Oh, God. Four transactions in two months. In uh, 2004. I, this is my weakness. I'm not good at this type of stuff. Oh, uh, this, I, I'm going to kick myself for not getting this. Um, what was the, last name. Tran- was the last transaction? The last transaction, he was included in a trade along with Ty Wigington for Chris Benson and Jeff Keppinger. 2004. Yeah, that's like I, yeah. I was 14 years old. What was I doing? It's why it's good to be ago. old. I, I was older than 14, but um, I was also still drinking in 2004. So that, that was just <laughs> so were the teams that were making all these transactions. It sounds like so. Said player at the time had zero career home runs. Went on to hit 344 more, and his name is Jose Bautista. Oh my god! Oh. <laughs> so things happen, uh, but yeah, Jose Bautista did not hit his first major league home run until. 2006, but he was out of options in 2005. Was in all those. I have a picture of Jose Bautista in a Devil Rays uniform. I actually saw him play in a game once that year, uh, and that was the great sleeveless green, like 
there's a picture of him out there uh, with that. But Jose Bautista bounced around uh, and then eventually landed in Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh was like, eh, go away uh, after he didn't do anything. And then he got he got added by Toronto and the rest, as they say, is history. There you go. Nice. All right. Let's uh, let's move on to uh, Carlos Correa, who finally officially signs and is now a Minnesota twin for the next six years and potentially more, depending on, uh, you know, his vesting options there. Uh, Jason, what are you doing with Correa this year? Do you think he is a value? He's now not going to pick up third base eligibility, or, or it seems very unlikely he's going to pick up third base like he would have had he been in New York. How much of this, you know, back and forth and ankle issues uh, do you think is going to affect him this year, or are you drafting him? Uh, I honestly care not about, I think this was more about the future uh, than it is the present. And, and we saw he was in Minnesota last year. Uh, and it kind of made sense once things kind of went sideways that if any team was going to take him, it was going to be Minnesota. They were familiar with the medicals and everything, and he's there. You look at the spot of the lineup, he's going to hit second in between Luis Arias, Byron Buxton. That lineup, uh, even now, if they don't make any other moves, that's still a very thick lineup, one to nine. You know it's a good lineup when Nick Gordon's hit is projected to hit ninth right now. Uh, and so I, I really, I mentioned earlier, I don't like, Milwaukee much this year. I do like Minnesota on paper. Uh, obviously, having Correa healthy all season would be a huge part. But I'm not worried about I'm not worried about the near term about this. I'm still drafting him now that he's finally got a home that it appears he's going to stay in. Uh, so for longer than a week, uh, I am just treating him as I as I would before all this noise came out. Mike, where are you at on Carlos Correa now that he is a Minnesota twin? I think I'm with the market on him now. Like before, I was kind of bumping him up a little bit, thinking he was going to gain that eligibility just because that added little something matters in, you know, these early leagues. But now it's kind of like, all right, cool. He can go back and settle back where he was at. And I think that's prop, prop, uh, properly valuing him at this point. Wherever he I was, like 120s, 130s. Like he's just a solid, steady guy. You know, you're going to miss some time with injuries, but you know what you're getting. And I think that, you know, that has a place on certain builds. I feel like he's a little bit underrated, not like drastically underrated. Um, and this is something for me because those of you who have listened to this podcast over the years have talked, uh, heard me talk about how much I hate Carlos Correa, uh, in terms of where he goes in, in drafts. And I feel like, like, why is he going behind Jeremy Pena? Like, I understand Jeremy Pena's young and stuff like that. Speed. But like, like, I don't, I don't think that Jeremy Pena is a better fantasy asset than Carlos Correa. So, um, I feel like he's, uh, he also kind of, is the last like real palatable um, shortstop uh, or one of the last ones. I think uh, you can throw Tyro uh, Estrada and maybe Javi Baez into that uh, tier as well. But I think he kind of marks the end of uh, like where I'm feeling really comfortable about getting yeah. a shortstop from. So um, I, I think he's fine. And honestly, I think this is going to probably drop his price further because people were getting excited about him being in that Mets lineup. Uh, and uh, potentially picking up third base. Uh, and so if there's any more dip, uh, I'll probably have quite a few shares of Carlos Correa's, so, which I'm fine with. Yeah. Uh, uh, next guy on the list is uh, my boy, Nelson Cruz, signing a deal to go to San Diego. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on Nelson Cruz in San Diego? I would have been excited or more excited if they didn't already have Matt Carpenter. You know what I mean? Like they pretty much signed a platoon partner for him. It's only a million dollars. And for them, that's nothing. That's for, that's really nothing for most major league teams, unless you're the A's. But, um, yeah, it's, 
I think it's what it is. I think I think Cruz is entering the year on a weak side of a platoon over at, at the H, and I have a hard time drafting him, expecting anything else right now. I don't really know if we should expect anything else from a forty-two-year-old. How how dare you? How dare you besmirch the name how, of Nelson Cruz? How, how dare I? How dare I? Just talk like it is to you, Justin, who loves him so much, and this is your show. And <laughs> yes, how dare you, Jason? Yeah. Where are you at on Nelson Cruz? Fine, I'm here to stick up for him as there the guy who, as the guy who drafted him 122nd overall in 2008 uh, or 2009 in his in his first year. I was that excited about him, and nobody else. In the, I it was my first year playing NFBC. I was like, I love this guy. Nobody else did. I'm like, I don't care. I love this guy. And like somebody, we were in Vegas and in the big room and I heard somebody else mention him at the table. I'm like, Oh crap. If I don't draft him now, he's got to be gone. So I took him in the, like the third pick of the eighth round. Uh, and I love it, but yeah. yeah so I've long been a fan of, of Nelson Cruz, but I agree. It's like, this is, it's almost feels like he was signed as, as uh, Fernando Tatis's junior's bouncer. Uh, like, Hey, you know, you're coming off this. I went through this. Let me help deflect some of this crap that you're going to get uh, as you get back on the field for this stuff. So clubhouse presence. Uh, when you look at last year, you know we know he had eye surgery at the after the end of last year, and so his struggles last year. You know, I did his player profile at Rotowire. I mentioned like the loud rumbling noises you hear is that victory lap of everybody running around saying, "Hi, I mm-hmm. told you so." Nelson Cruz finally acted his age. Well, you know, the, the struggles he had last year, if it truly was eye related, just validated anybody's concerns that he had uh, as he played with Tampa Bay last year because, you know, he had vision problems in Tropicana Field as well, much like Willie Adamas did. Uh, Nelson Cruz just did not hit well in Tropicana Field when after the trade. So last year's struggles were like, see, told you, he's finally acting his age. This is finally going to happen. Uh, and so. With him going to San Diego, as Mike said, you try to look through and try to wish cast. Okay, where can where can this happen? It's like unless you know, when you you try to figure out where where am I going to find somebody? How can I get Nelson Cruz every day at bats? And right now, if you look at the depth chart, they got Matt Carpenter as the platoon left fielder, and Nelson Cruz is a full time DH. That's the dream. If that could possibly happen, that's the dream. And we'll see real quick if Nelson Cruz is. Finally acting his age because he's got the World Baseball Classic to, uh, uses his audition. So we'll be able to see. But you look at some of the expected stats, you know, his profile still shows there's some good in his bat. Uh, and getting out of Washington uh, and that disappointing situation could help. Uh, and so, like, Nelson Cruz was pretty much going undrafted in a lot of places. Or he was way down. Now you're going to see that value come up somewhat. And I would say take advantage of the market opportunity right now that's telling you that he's in a short side platoon with Matt Carpenter and look for the upside because even then it's still not costing you an active round spot. You can still get Nelson Cruz in the reserves right now. And that's the kind of late power dart you should be looking to throw. Yeah. He's that currently means, going to take you, you stop it with your Nelson well, Cruz. Well, I, I, I have to, I have to, I have to make no. sure I point out that, you know, Ross resource shows that because Tatis isn't being factored in yet. Once, once Tatis is factored in now, it becomes a bigger squeeze. Well, then Matt and Carpenter flops. What yeah, a that's, and that's, and, and what that's, a that's where, and that's where honestly your best bet is. I'm not, I'm not even opposed because the price, I just, I wonder where he's going to shoot up to. I'm going into it with very little expectations, but I do agree with you guys on this. The price, the price is definitely there to take the shot. So, it's, and there, yeah, and you six, mentioned six fourteen. Come on. I'll, I'll take yeah, that but all day long. I just, I just, I wonder how long is going to, is he going to creep into the four hundreds at this point? Because now that he's signed with the team, and now I that if so. people look at Ross Resource, people don't honestly people look at Ross Resource and like, oh, he's plugged in as a starter. I and would then, be stunned if he cost you an active round reserve pick, right yeah, now. or yeah, active he, round pick to roster. No, him. no, he's, no he's definitely a reserve round guy for sure. I yeah. just wonder if he, is he uh, 
if he had an a- if he had an actual position, then I'd say maybe. But because, considering he's UT only and he's going that late, there are going to be plenty of people who just won't even have them on their board. True, because they like when you get to the reserve rounds. Do you want to roster a guy in your reserves, even at a DC that's UT only? Um, only, you, only if I don't have Otani, then I don't mind. Otani or, or JD Martinez or any of the other guys you've already you drafted. <laughs> but I'm but I'm saying like, no, like you, yeah. they're gonna, there's going to be at least three teams that have already rostered a UT only guy that are automatically taking them off, you know, yeah. taking Nelson Cruz You're off right. the board. Plus other people who just say, well, I won't draft a UT only player, um, no matter who it is. Uh, so like already you're taking like probably a third um, of the owners in a, in a league out of contention on him. Like, I don't think the price is going up. I mean, it may go up to like 500, but that's still in a 30, you know, 30 uh, round draft, 15 team league. You're not even, yeah. you know, you're not even drafting him. So uh, I, I think he's an absolute steal and worth a dart throw. Okay, fine. I'm, I'm, I might be low on him, but I can honestly get behind the price tag and the, and the, and the logic behind the price tag. It makes a lot of sense. I'm not, I, I can't argue that. La- I can argue la- that I might not believe. Last, last year was the first year that he was not a top hundred player in like a decade. He's also 42 years old. That, 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 there's a reason why okay. that father time is undefeated. I'm, but again, I'm not, I can't argue the price. Like, the fact that there's a path of playing time, the fact that I actually can see Matt Carpenter failing, like that's not out of the, it's not like, oh, well, that's just wish casting. No, that's actually a legitimate outcome because there's a reason why Matt Carpenter was nothing until last year and, uh, or at least nothing for a few years before last year. So I'm not really opposed. I'm just opposed. I just don't have that level of belief, but in terms of price to acquire and potential for production, I do agree that those two things meet up. So I'm not even out on them. I just don't like him. Like there's, it's weird. I know that I have to, I shouldn't, ha- I, I sh- the two shouldn't be separate, but they are. Like, I don't necessarily believe in them, but at the price, I have no problem taking a shot on them. If that makes any sense to probably the average person, probably not, but to me, it makes a lot of sense. Like, oh, it would pay me <laughs> to have to cut him. I cut him last year at one point. Yeah. I was like, oh man, it just really hurt. I was like, I cannot believe I've got to do He was this, like my most rostered player last year. It's brutal. Well, because um, each year, especially those of us who drafted early, he was still, you could still get him in the 17th, 18th round last year. Yeah. And so there was no, you know, go ahead. You know, there, there was, I remember his market price was uh, deflated a bit and then it was a way to uh, get him at a decent price. But like you said, Last year was the the absolute floor. It was the first time that he had a WRC plus below one twenty two since two thousand and uh, since two thousand eleven was the last time that he had a WRC plus below this. It's been amazing what he's been able to do across his career. And if 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 there is still some goodness left in him, uh, you know, now's the time to get it because it's it's really not the the acquisition price is extremely low. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, talk about the next guy on the list, which is Shintaro uh, Fujinama, who is signed to a one-year, $3 million deal by the A's. Uh, Jason, any interest in this, uh, Japanese import? No. I was, I was like, I know he's going to kind of be first. Uh, everything that I've seen so far is just like, uh, yeah, there's some upside in the arm. But we have no idea where it's going. It read like a Japanese nuclear uh, everything that I've read about it. So uh, with that and in the context of him having to be uh, pitching in Oakland where run support could be scarce and everything else is going to be bad. Pass like we, we never I never uh, 
commented on Johnny Cueto, but it's like, I don't even like Cueto this year just because of the strikeout rate is so low. It's really tough to roster him in some formats, but I'd still take Cueto over this, over this uh, project. Uh, Mike, where are you at on uh, Fujinama? I don't really know how to feel about him. I was reading about the fact that he could hit like 98, 99, which is great. And as a splitter, but also they has control issues and that he's been like, you know, he's bounced around between the minor leagues and where he's coming from and all that. So it feels like a very A's move, but maybe if he can hone in on some of that stuff that I was reading, he has, maybe there's a potential for some like relief, something <laughs> like, like I'm not gonna say he's going to close, but then when you look at this team pucks being stretched out as a starter, there's very limited options there. Maybe there's a second half path to some saves. I just try to be it's like, it's like the best case scenario. I'm more likely to, I'm, I'm definitely more in line with Jason here that I don't see much of a path to much relevance this year though. Um, I can't remember where I saw it, so I apologize for not um, accurately attributing it. But uh, some somebody pointed out to me that there was uh, a report that the A's were the only team willing to give him a shot at the rotation. That's what I was going to say. It's like if for yeah. the for the upside, if for, for as hard as he throws and everything, the fact that this was where he chose to sign at three point two five million kind of says this is what the market. All the other scouts are like. You know, if you was like, you know, that's like five million dollars here. Take it. Go. Let's see what you got. But the fact that this team gave it any sign for three point two five kind of tells you where every other scout that went and took a look at him was like, eh. And I can't see. I can see Tim McLeod like say, "Ooh, I'm interested." (laughs) So, and Tim McLeod's always my default guy on these uh, guys that come. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tim Tim is Tim is the. the OG when it comes to uh, Japanese and Korean imports, for sure. Um, Miguel Rojas was traded to the Dodgers uh, quite literally minutes after I finished recording the Dodgers preview with Matt Davis, which still hasn't posted. I think post tomorrow. Um, so that was a little bit frustrating. But, uh, Mike, where are you at on Miguel Rojas, and what does this do to other players in the Dodgers in terms of taking away plate appearances? Oh, this is a fun one. So uh <laughs> I I so this is how I'm seeing it break down. I, I'm first off, Rojas is just a defend a defensive first type of player. He has a little bit of power, a little, little bit of speed. He can give you 10, 10, 10, 15 type of thing, which isn't which has its place again on most teams, especially late in drafts, but he's coming off offseason surgery. Uh um wow. Uh, <laughs> um sorry, I just lost his name. Rojas. I was thinking I was looking at yeah, Rojas, obviously. I should know this. But um, so I think he is going to defensively start at shortstop most days, and that's what they're going to value. I think they're going to go for I think next year's the year where they go all in, going for Otani and all that. I digress. Let's get to the fallout on this roster. So if I see Rojas starting at shortstop, this is going to push Lux to second. This is going to take Chris Taylor out of a more regular role, put him more towards that utility type role, and a weak side platoon with Lux again, because that's where he was at, point, at parts last year. I think, and I think Chris Taylor might just be better off in a short side platoon slash utility role. Um, I think Altman ends up getting hurt by this too, or Thompson, one of the two, whichever one can't play center field better. Cause, um, I do see Vargas still very much factoring in. He played left field last year and there's, and they're not going to just bring it, they're not going to keep Vargas on the bench. I don't think they're going to, I think they're going to want to see what they have out of him before they give someone else a shot. I think Vargas is going to get time in the outfield and they're going to, you know, it's, it's, it's the Dodgers. They're going to plug and play anyway. 
But Vargas, I still think, very much gets run. It's just a matter of where he plays every day. That's going to alternate. It's going to change, I think. I, I think that the Dodgers are kind of going to do what the Dodgers do. They're going to platoon people. I don't think Trace Thompson is safe. We saw him put mostly, we saw most of his playing time come in on weak side platoon last year anyway. Why wouldn't that continue considering that's how they utilized him heavily last year? Maybe lack of options for center field. I don't know. But I do think we see Vargas still factor in heavily. I think it's really going to be Trace Thompson and Chris Taylor that take the biggest hits here as they fall more into that platoon slash depth role. Jason? I don't know if I see it as anything more than this is the new Hanser Alberto. This is what the roster needs. It, you know, it needs somebody with that experience off the bench. Uh, it needs somebody if they give Gavin Lux the opportunity and he flops, then they've got an insurance policy. We talked earlier, you know, again, with the righty-lefty splits that Rojas had a terrible year against righties last year. But if you look back at, at 21 and 20, he did much better against them. So there is mm-hmm. a path where potentially he gets more playing time uh, with this. But honestly, I just see him as the new Alberto. Like they need somebody with that experience uh, to use late inning situations. So I'm not yeah, – and they didn't give up on what I perceive as much to to acquire him uh, with that. So, yeah, that's that's where I'm – I guess I'm less optimistic on him. I, I see him more as an NL-only option than anything else. Yeah, I think he probably is a backup infielder, but I also think this gives him an opportunity to take Trace Thompson out of the everyday lineup. Uh, you know, they can move Lux to center um, and play him there. They can also move Chris Taylor to left and play him there. Like, it, like I, I don't think that this really affects any of the pieces that we were excited about coming in. Um, I don't think this hurts Lux. I don't think this hurts Vargas. I don't think this, you know, I, it may not even hurt Outman, to be quite honest. Yeah. Uh, I think ultimately uh, there's no reason why Trace Thompson should be an everyday player uh, and playing center field for this team. So this may just give them a little bit more flexibility to make sure he's on a short side of a platoon. I do think it might make the price of Vargas drop a little bit, though, because I've seen people concerned about Vargas's playing time, and I'm I'm all like, all right, cool, I'll scoop up the reduced price because I yeah. think Vargas is very much. I think he's fine. At the very least, a strong side platoon. Uh, sorry, you know, he wouldn't be a strong side platoon guy because he's a righty, but um, I do think he's gonna. I think he's gonna play every day. You don't least, have though. you don't have him up if he's not gonna play every day. There's That's no, what I'm saying, yeah. There's, yeah, I mean, and he's got nothing left to prove. Um, in triple A yeah. at this point. All he's done is destroy the minor leagues. So he does have two options though. So that is worth noting. He does have it's him and Outman both have options left. Trace Thompson does not. Um forever that's worth if that matters or factors early on is just worth mentioning. But I yeah, but I mean, is I think, Jason Hayward really going to be on this team? Yeah, non-roster like, invite Jason Hayward. Come on, like I mean, no, uh, dude, I, I get it. I'm with you. I just, I just want to make sure. I, I just honestly, I'll take, I'll buy any dip there is on Vargas. I'm pretty much all in at this point, especially as the price is projected. I would project the price to dip because people are concerned about it. I buy. I think we're on the same page. I think it's Thompson's job that's going to be most, most, uh, most unlikely to sustain. And then yeah. Taylor. There's a reason why Taylor was weak side platooning. I think he even weak side. I think he only started against one righty in the play. I don't remember. I think Taylor was even platooning into the playoffs at times. So that's why I don't buy into him having an everyday role right now. I think he's just I think Chris Taylor is a super utility guy. I think yeah, I think he's gonna utility. play I think he's gonna play every day, but I you think, think so? it's going to be yeah, but I think it's going or, or pretty close to it. But yeah. I think it's gonna I don't think there's gonna be out of set position. I think you're gonna go back to him being kind of like you know, hey, you're giving left field a day off. You're giving shortstop yeah. a day off. You're giving second base a day off, um, which I think is better for his fantasy value, anyways, because he'll pick up more positional eligibility than he already starts with. So, but 
Yeah, I don't think he is. Than I am. <laughs> Look at that bottom of that roster. They no, the no, don't right. have a lot of choice. Like, you know, I, no, I this, get this, that. This I do not. This why is are they not... playing like a small market team? I mean, uh, what have really, they done this off season? They, they, they really they want, think they're they going no, yeah. I think they want to see. Yeah, I think they want to stay under the luxury tax. Uh, yeah, this year. I know. I'm just joking, but it's just like here they have all the resources in the world, and they're acting like a small market team this winter and after winning. Clearly setting the stage. Yeah, they're clearly waiting for this time next year. And I they do. Still want, have, I, they still have Michael Bush too. Michael Bush can factor in easily into this mm, whole mix. Michael too. They Bush have isn't options. Good. What? Michael Bush isn't good. Well, I thought he wasn't good defensively. I thought it's the bat that has people intrigued, right? I mean, I, I think I think people are starting to cool their jets a little bit on Michael Bush's uh, bat too. So. I know, I know, I know the defense has been like a huge cause for concern, but I thought that like, you know maybe the Dodgers actually are like you know what they'll make they'll either make big trades right before the trade deadline, or they're just going to say screw it and go all in. I, I really do think they go for Otani hard next year and say screw the luxury tax and join Cohen in his own little tax bracket. And I think next year is the big move year for the Dodgers, which is weird because again, I agree, Jason. This was a weird thing that's like they are kind of playing small ball. Compared to their usual tactics. Yeah. Um, all right, let's finish out with Andrew McCutcheon on a homecoming tour, going back to play for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, Jason, uh, are you interested in drafting McCutcheon? It seems like he's going to get plenty of playing time. Yep, love it. Same kind of thing that was said about Dickerson. Yeah, uh, they had all the opportunity in the world to play for a really bad team. Uh, and he could he can honestly hit cleanup in this lineup on some days uh, with that. So I really do like the landing because in other places he would have been marginalized um, in a platoon situation. Gets back to roster construction, though, if you're going to get every day Andrew McCutcheon, you, gotta, you have to be able to absorb that batting average because it, it is going to have uh, some issues if he's out there playing every single day. But you're looking at counting category production for him. You're looking for the home runs. You're looking for the runs. You're looking for the RBIs at that point. So he could be a two and a half to potentially three category player with that. But you need to make sure you can uh, you're insulated against the batting average risk because if he hits above two thirty five, I would be surprised. Uh, Mike, so I found him to be one of the interesting righties to my, to possibly benefit from the shift actually. Because, you know, you don't really look at not a lot of people are looking at right handed hitters for the shift benefits. But McCutcheon was uh, shifted against 49 percent of the time last year. And if you look at the B.A. and X.B.A. different and there's a 40, 41 point difference there, according to X.B.A. and B.A. against the shift last year. Again, 49 percent, not a huge, huge amount of shifts, but that's a lot for a righty. And then the Wobo and his ex-Wobo difference was also 41 points. So he there is potential to be gained there from, you know, the shift band, which I found interesting. Then you also have for McCutcheon 98th percentile sprint speed last year. I know sprint speed's not like the end all be all metrics. I didn't, I didn't feel like looking up the, 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 you know, the shorter distance speeds, but 90th percentile tells me he's above average in speed regardless. <laughs> and, uh, and then decent power metrics and plate discipline. So Kutch has a skill set that's interesting. And now my big thing was, is does he actually play against righties? And now that he signs somewhere where he should, yeah, this makes him a lot more interesting to me. And I'm actually a lot more interested at, at his cost. I don't expect it to go up much either because it's the pirates. So I'm I'm really in on him, and I again I don't expect the big thing is, is I don't expect the cost to go up, even though he's going to gain more play appearances than most of us probably anticipated had he signed somewhere else. Yeah, I mean I think this is just the perfect kind of uh, spot for his value because he's going to get to play every day. Now he could get flipped at the deadline, uh, but uh, I think at least for the start of the season you can kind of guarantee that he's going to be playing every day, playing in the middle of that lineup. Uh, and if he does play a full season in Pittsburgh, if they just decide, hey, we're giving you like a farewell tour in Pittsburgh or something like that, then I think you know, he's potential, you know, 2010 guy. 
um, you know, with, you know, a palatable average. It won't be good by any stretch of the imagination. But if he hits 240, goes 2010, like, I'm going to be pretty stoked considering where he's going in drafts right now. Yeah, and I have no shares, and it makes me sad now because I I didn't buy. I just I was I was afraid he's gonna end up like there was rumors for like Dodgers and like that. Like that was like, oh no, I don't want him. He's gonna platoon weak side platoon for the Dodgers for sure. You know what I mean? But this could also just be. I think I think if they're smart, if the Pirates are smart, they don't try to trade him. They let him ride it out one year, the whole farewell year, like they did with Pujols last year in, in St. Louis, and just let them and kind of enjoy the money they're gonna make off this. Honestly, yeah. All right, that is going to do it uh, for this episode. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, of thank course, you. with oh, anytime. And of course, anytime I'm on here, it's going to run long. So I apologize. Yeah, thanks uh, for saving us from Simeon. Appreciate it. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> not only was it better quality content, but it actually was a better lo- and a longer episode, whereas he would have been like 30 minutes of like, um, and yes. So you, you really Except missed the, the opportunity. You, you really missed the opportunity to wear the Simeone mask while you My were wife it out. I, I uh. had it. I had it hanging up right here next to me for legitimately like eight months. Like it was sitting there. There's times where I would look in the room and it scared me because I forgot it was there. It was hanging on my microphone stand back. It was on the other side. I would have wore it because I, I, I love playing acting the fool on, on live streams. So, yes, I would have wore it for YouTube for sure. But, yeah, I did not. Uh, I did not. I just my wife threw it away because my wife had enough of it, I guess. Uh, remind everybody where you reach on social media and then plug everything you guys got going over at Gaining the Edge. No, I appreciate it. You could find me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. Of course, the Patreon, patreon.com slash GTE Fantasy. The YouTube is youtube.com slash at GTE Fantasy. Uh, I still write for The Athletic, as I mentioned before, and I have a lot of stuff coming up for everything. All the, and then, of course, I just tweet, I tweet at least one random stat a day that I find just some something interesting. So there's that. So Twitter, you can find me there, and that's where I, I'm, I'm always on there hanging out and talking to people so have your questions all that good stuff just hit me up there uh jason where can you reach what are you working on so i'm working on the uh the annual bold prediction series wrapping up the al east uh first i just did the value in the scrap heap column at rotowire and now it's into the bold prediction series so each of the next six weeks a hitter and pitcher from every team uh that i like don't like uh compared to the marketplace and, and what i think could uh happen uh, with that, you can reach me on social media at the handle that I have in the picture there. Uh, I'm at Mastodon, uh, mostly full time now. Uh, I have cross posting into Twitter, but I'm kind of in read only mode in Twitter as I uh, reevaluate the landscape uh, of that hellscape. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of reevaluating things. So I'm read only. So if you've posted something, I haven't replied. That's why. Uh, send me a direct message if you're already following me or I'm following you, and I will check in the DMs. But I'm kind of in read only for at least a month. I, I, I decommitted from Twitter on December 22nd, so I'm taking at least a month to reevaluate things uh, with that. But uh, obviously, I am checking in and reading things. Uh, I'm just not uh, kind of taking a step back on some stuff. But I am on Mastodon doing some things. If you haven't tested out Mastodon, come try it out. Uh, I'm enjoying it so far. Um, and that's it. All right. You can reach me on Twitter at just a missing FWFB. Um, writing daily fan graphs right now, trying to finish my projections, uh, especially because we're going to have uh, some cool ranking stuff happening over on, on fan graphs as well uh, soon. Um, you can join the Sleeper on the Bus Patreon, uh, which is still going on. We're going to be revamping that uh, starting next month. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, for that as well. Uh, and then I'm doing the 30 uh, team previews in 30 days podcast series over on friends with fantasy benefits. Uh, so definitely check that out. And we're actually doing um, a, uh, a rotor wear shirt giveaway each month over oh, there. Nice. Uh, so go listen to the episode to figure out how you can get entered in uh, to win 
1953 Rotoware shirt because we love Rotoware here. We love Rotoware. Uh, the sleeper in the bust and uh, uh, over at FWFB. So uh, definitely. Uh, I was going to add out. one more. I forgot yep. to mention. I am going to be on uh, Bubba's podcast. Uh, we mentioned team previews. I'm on uh, Bubba's podcast this week. We're recording Thursday night to talk about Tampa Bay. Uh, so if you have missed Ray's Corner on here, uh, I know two of you at least do. Uh, I'll be on that podcast as we focus on Tampa Bay Rays uh, with that. So uh, check Bubba's podcast out as well. Definitely. Uh, Betra Bubba is a great podcast. Uh, we love Bubba. Uh, and we love uh, Mike Curlin. So, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, for Jason, Mike, and myself, thank you for listening. Have fantastic baseball offseason.